the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. This is an interesting time because it is the earnings season. And when I say it like that, it sounds silly. But we should be focusing on how did the stay-at-home stocks do? How did the reopening stocks do? How did international stocks do? We are in a pandemic that has kind of shut down parts of the world. And parts of the world have stayed open. And parts of the world are dealing with hospital shortages. And parts of the world are not dealing with hospital shortages. We have a COVID vaccine that's starting to roll out primarily through Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. Uh, But there are some other players there as well, including Johnson & Johnson, and some of the uh, treatments, not necessarily vaccines, are getting high-profile plays as well. We should be focusing on that. But instead, yesterday, the market closes at all-time high. Apple hit an all-time high. The S&P 500 hit an all-time high. Microsoft hit an all-time high. And we're focusing on short sellers. I think it's important that I don't ignore this. I've kind of ignored it on air. Um, And that's not cool of me. I thought it was a story that I did not want to show you in large part because it's going to end badly and I don't want it to end badly on you. We are pushing stocks higher that have no business being in business or they have no business getting valued as great companies when they are struggling to pay the bills. Whether it be GameStop or AMC, the pandemic has ruffled feathers. And GameStop, not even so much the pandemic, but the move to digital downloads has changed the game. I'm just throwing that out there for you. We're focusing on stocks that are going up, moonshots. And that's a bad thing because there's professional investors out there, not me, but there's professional investors who say GameStop should go to zero and and AMC should go to zero. And I could make that case. Uh, if I were to say you only have 20 punches in a punch card called your investments for the rest of your life, I don't think GameStop or AMC would hit. But during a pandemic, during a short, during these stocks are oversold, maybe they're underbought, maybe people are leaving them for dead, maybe they can get up off the ropes at a nine count. Companies are These companies are being shorted. And what, what the problem here is, is by professional investors who are throwing billions of dollars saying they're worth nothing. And when it goes up 100%, 200%, 300%, a billion dollar bet just became a $2 billion bet, $3 billion bet, $4 billion bet on the wrong side. And then suddenly those mutual funds, it's, kind of, it's time to come to Jesus. And I say that in a Wall Street kind of way, there's something called margin and there's something called shorts that when you start getting killed, you get a call from your brokerage and they go, um, we see that this isn't working out for you and you've borrowed some money and it's time to pay up. And you're like, but, but, but I want to hold on for another month and see if I'm right. Nope. You're going to sell a massive loss and we're going to take what little cash is in your account. 
And that causes a, a hedge fund who bets on the market going up and bets on the market going down. That causes a hedge fund to panic and say, oh, crap. We just lost $4 billion on a $1 billion bet. How's that even possible? It's possible shorted. You know, I told you that I don't short stocks because people bought pet rocks in the 1970s. People bought invisible dogs, which were just basically dog leashes with a lot of starch on them. So they, they hung a foot above the ground on a consistent level. We're stupid as a nation. So I don't short stocks. I get it, but I don't do it. In this case, I watched GameStop and AMC. I just walked right by them. I don't want to play in that fight because I don't want to be upside down by $4 billion. And when that happens and the brokerage firm calls you, Rob, you're upside down $4 billion. And then suddenly I have to sell stocks like Apple and Microsoft that I wanted to hold for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Stocks that have outperformed the market. Stocks have been winning chicken dinners. And suddenly I'm forced, gun to my head, to liquidate. And suddenly the whole market gets pooped on because I made a bet that turned out wrong. That's what's happening right now. And that shouldn't be the story. Story. Who loves that song, The Never-Ending Story? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, oh, oh. Any song that features the oh, oh, is all right by me. So, okay, let's go through things, okay? We're in record territory yesterday. Today, not so much. Is it a positive refresh? No. We would need to go down another 9 to 10% before I even say that this is a correction or a pullback. 1% does not make a market correction. 2% does not make a market correction. 10%, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. Makes a bear market on that end. Boeing's down 5%. That's a real story. People have said it's recovering, it's recovering, it's great. They, they're well off their all-time highs. There's only two companies that really make uh, jet airliners. They'll, 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 they'll survive. They also make kick-ish kick uh, drones. They also make missiles. So Boeing had a bad year. It's like that American Idol. So you had a bad day. They had a bad 365 days. They lost $11.9 billion. Could you imagine if that was you? Your spouse sends you out to go to the grocery store and pick up groceries. And you come home with nothing and you're like, I don't know where it went. $11.9 billion is a lot of money to lose. My spouse would beat me if I lost the grocery money. She would put me downstairs and tase me in the basement. I don't even have a basement. She'd beat me if I lost billions and billions of dollars. So the 737 max grounding and the coronavirus pandemic really were a one-two whammy on Boeing. It would have been bad if it was just the 737 max grounding. It got worse because of the pandemic. Microsoft had a stellar quarter growing revenue, 17%. Their cloud business accelerated. Um, I've bought more Microsoft products in the last year than I bought in the previous five whether they be Outlook Online, whether they be um, headsets, whether they be operating systems, whether they be Word. You get kind of tired working on Google Documents. I know you're saying, but it's free. But you get kind of tired of working on it. It's not quite Word. Of which, for the record, 
Microsoft Word was not always the most powerful processor, well, word processor on the planet. Novell had it. And you're like, who the hell is Novell? Exactly. Right? Right? Tonight we get Apple, Facebook, and Tesla. So today at 1 o'clock, I'm grabbing a big old vat of popcorn. I'm going to butter it up. I'm going to sit down and listen to three conference calls. Then later tonight, after dinner, I'm going to come back out to the office and take a look at more data and more earnings season. Nearly one-third of U.S. homes are at risk of a natural disaster. That's reminded because California is getting hit by one of those uh, atmospheric river storms where you kind of see the Gilligan boat go out to the water. You're like, okay, see you in a couple hours, Gilligan. And I go, oh, he's not coming back. These atmospheric storms are, are something for straight days of rain. I'm already tired of it after 12 hours, right? So earthquakes, wildfires, floods, storms, snow, hurricanes. More and more homes in America are at risk of getting hit with a disaster. Do you know your insurances? Do you know your levels? Do you know your coverage? Do you know your caps? Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Do you remember the late 1980s, early 1990s? When movies would come out like Fright Night and The House? You went to the movies and you didn't care that it wasn't a blockbuster and that Harrison Ford wasn't in it. There was no Crystal Skull. There was no major water rafting scene in the movie. It was just kind of a low-budget film that might have a young actor in it that 20 years from now is dating a hot actress. And you're like, oh, I saw his first movie. It's kind of a a reminiscence, right? Netflix is now that reminiscence with either it be Stranger Things or Vampires versus the Bronx. It's not the best product out there, in my opinion, as far as like, would I rather watch Avengers Endgame or something on Netflix? Well, I'd rather watch The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, but that took 20 years to make. Fascinating story, the making of that movie. Anything that's good tends to take a long time. And that goes with your portfolio as well. Yesterday, I was putting together some trades that I didn't get on time. Um, I wanted to pick up some stocks in my portfolio. None of them are the high-flying ones. But I was looking for some plays on growth with a little bit of income, not just pure growth and not just pure income. And then the market corrected last night or today. And I'm glad I didn't pull the trade off. But to be honest with you, in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, I think those positions will be fine. Like, it goes back to things aging well. Some of those movies from the 1980s, 1990s, they weren't big budget films. But we we liked the writing. We liked the acting. We liked the direction. We kind of like not seeing Harrison Ford in the 40th role. So... I throw that out there that Netflix doesn't have the best product, in my opinion. They have some true gems, but they've got a lot of stinkers and a lot of pretty nostalgic throwback. Pretty good stuff. Not great, but pretty good. Better than network TV? Yes, but not by much. 
So you don't have to have the most absolute genius stock pick idea ever. It doesn't have to be NVIDIA because they've got this new GPU that can update servers that does virtualization that does like it could do lidar it can see cars the it could it doesn't have to be the multi-purpose all it fixes all things swiss army knife semiconductor although i'll tell you this semiconductors are an area that i was scratching the surface of yesterday when i was thinking about ideas of stocks that i want to pick up and not not the big high-flying ones like amd and nvidia i love those names and i love those stocks they're great companies with great futures. AMD had a quarter to end all quarters. Their server sales on semiconductors, huge. Please know I'm not making fun of Trump when I say their sales were bigly. I love it when a president invents a new word. Love it. Uh, George W. Bush invented a lot of words, and I kind of miss it. You, you know, when you publicly speak, me too sometimes the words don't come out right and you just kind of mash them up incorrectly. But AMD had a big leak quarter. Uh, it's not lost on me that Sony PlayStation 5 and the Microsoft Xbox use AMD chips. AMD didn't give those chips to Microsoft and Sony for nothing. But Microsoft and Sony had to give the, us those consoles for almost nothing. Those those consoles that cost five, 600 bucks, they really cost a good thousand dollars of all the technology that's crammed into them. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but those are called loss leaders. It's not a loss leader for the semiconductor that goes in it. Or companies like Tesla and Neo, they are supporting a whole ecosystem of semiconductors and sensors and, and battery technologies that will do just as well as the big boy companies, but without the fanfare of the big boy company that comes with it. So I'm looking at some semiconductors that go into our gadgets right now. I'll give you an example. Consult a broker advisor for taking any action on any stocks ever mentioned on the show. I'm looking at Broadcom. Not for a one-year play, not for a one-month play. For a, I'd like to buy it now and a second time and a third time on a five to 10-year trend. I'm not going to do it now because I just talked about it and that's against the law and the law is there for your safety and protection. You should never speed because the law is there for your safety and protection. <laughs> Do you believe me? Probably not, Mr. Black. So coming up, I got the one, the only Mr. Patrick O'Hare, and it's a good segment today because Wall Street's kind of on the juicy side. Juicy. Tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I'm taking over the 6 a.m. show, Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I'm going to bash on Susie Orman. But you got to listen to that show because I'm not going to say it's exclusive, but 6 a.m. tomorrow, be there, be square. Um, markets are a little bit lower today. We started down 350 points. Now we're down 270 points. We're dealing with a market that has a fascination with what's going on with GameStop and AMC. There, it's a short squeeze. Some professional companies have bet hundreds of millions of dollars that these companies go out of business completely. And some scrappy young punks on Reddit have banded together to kind of create a gang to buy the stocks no matter what. And the gang's winning, and the shorts are losing. And that systemically could cause a problem for the hedge funds that have both long and short bets. Some hedge funds will go out of business. Some hedge funds will get destroyed. Anytime there's a massive market dislocation or a break from reality, some hedge funds die. I know you're saying, that's sweet. It's like, 
whenever whenever what happens and an angel gets its wings, I don't know, whenever a liver gets destroyed due to cirrhosis, an uh, angel gets its wings. Same thing. Same things with hedge funds. Whenever there's a dislocation of normalcy, whenever something's incredibly inefficient, someone's left holding that back. Anyhow, and anyway, crude oil slightly higher today, which doesn't make sense because the Dow, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, the Russell, all lower, but they're all fighting back. And it's got a, a Rocky Balboa champion theme going on right here of its earnings season. We have a president that should be spending trillions in stimulus, although the Republicans are starting to fight back. We have a job market that needs support. We have a Federal Reserve that is accommodative. But we were at all-time highs yesterday, so sometimes we got to take a break. Jill, go have a cigarette. Bubblegum cigarette. You know, I used to have bubblegum cigarettes as a kid. What a message. I'm Rob Black. Coming up, the one, the only. Patrick O'Hare. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So, this is a band called The Interpreters, or The Interrupters? Interrupters. Uh, it could be The Interpreters if they work for the UN. But it's a great line, um, I'm a match, she's kerosene. And that describes my life many times over. And sometimes it describes Wall Street, in my opinion. Um, let's bring in Patrick O'Hare, and let's talk about this market. And uh, it's fascinating, because we have the ultra-uber-speculative stocks, companies that we're down for the 10 count. They hit nine and a half and they got back up GameStop and AMC. It's something that I'm getting a lot of questions on from people in radio and television that I work with Pat. People want to know, should I jump in? And I'm like, eh, I personally won't, but I get it. Um, <laughs> when that's a story, that's not a good story because the guys who are down for the count nine and a half and they've been beat up the whole fight. Rarely do they win. What are you making of the speculators leading the market? Mr. O'Hare. Well, it's, it's definitely fascinating. You know, I think yes. we've been around long enough to uh, know that this is actually, I think, something you could say that, that is different. Um, sure, you you know, you can have, uh, say it reminds one of, you know, the dot-com craze, right, where, you know, a company would put a, come out and say they put a dot-com on their name and you'd see a, you know, 50, 60, 70% spike in the stock. But these things are, these things are just going up. Uh, in a crazy fashion um, in what, you know, others might deem collusion, really. Um, so That's you fair. have a, a, an orchestrated uh, mob, um, you know, going together with, with groupthink here and certainly putting a lot of pressure on, on a lot of, uh, I guess, quote, professional investors who, you know, had more of a fundamental basis for why they were short the stock than these, uh, organizers do certainly for why they're buying the stock today. Now it's just a game is really all it is. And, uh, and they're going to ride it for all it's worth, but, uh, it's definitely, you know, it, it, it's not something that personally I enjoy watching. I, I mean, it's fascinating, but it's, it's kind of unnerving and alarming and, uh, uh, not really a good sign, I think for, uh, you know, market integrity. It's, Gary Jules has that song, It's a Mad, Mad World. And it, it kind of is when you see like GameStop go up 400% roughly on what you said is mob mentality. Some guys at Reddit 
decided to thumb their nose at professional investors, short sellers of the market, who are kind of bottom feeders, who are kind of important. Maybe they're the great whites who kind of keep the ocean from getting overpopulated. I like it. I like them. I'm not against them. But um, it's a mad world when the insiders at GameStop didn't make any of the money. They all sold while the stock was at one, two dollars. And the people that are making money, I'm not even I want to drop it right there because I don't want people to think that people are really making money. What they're making is kind of opportunity. I don't even know how to describe this, but it's a mad, mad world. Um, should well, we stay on this topic or, or move on to earnings? Up to you. Well, if I could just, you know, add, I mean, you know, they are, I guess, to their credit, taking advantage of a, you know, of a situation that is is right for the taking, frankly. Um, and, you know, that gets you into all sorts of issues as it relates to, you know, regulation and, and all of that. But, um you know, the word collusion obviously has some, some you know, legal meaning to it, but I don't mean to say that, uh, you know, it's not like one person is doing something illegal. It's just, it is that group momentum, that group that does take over. And and a lot of people, if they're actually selling these these particular stocks on the way up, are making a great deal of money. There's no question about it. And, um, uh, but it is just something that, you, you know, the market has always had, there's always been a little bit of a casino gamesmanship element in the market. It's just the fact of the matter, right? This one sure. is just supersized to a degree that we, I don't think we've ever seen. And, uh, but what we've all seen is when you get into moments like this, um, it's not going to end well. And so we're certainly on the greatest fool watch right now, as it relates to buying the likes of AMC and GameStop and Express and BlackBerry and all of that, uh, trading at these, you know, truly high levels that don't uh, have any fundamental justification. And uh, there are people who are going to get burned. Um, but, you know, it's a matter of uh, it's not a matter of, of if it's just a question of when. And uh, so far, people are still <laughs> taking out OK. It's interesting because I guess we're staying on the topic for a little bit longer. Elon Musk came out yesterday and tweeted a little bit about what's going on with GameStop. And you're saying there's a mob. I'm going to call them the Reddit mob because I kind of want to classify them. It's more than just that, but that's where I think the, the nexus is. He comes out and tweets one word where he's basically laughing at the situation about GameStop. Hmm. And I think. You could probably draw a parallel that he was an incredibly shorted stock. GameStop was incredibly shorted. AMC is incredibly shorted. Barron's came out with a list of 10 incredibly shorted stocks that aren't going to survive. And I'm sure the guys at Reddit are looking at it like, here's our next million. Um, right. <laughs> but I think Musk was the first example of this. Like People like me would say they're losing money. This doesn't make sense to give them 20 times sales or 30 times sales or four. And it kept going higher and higher and higher. And I, I think Reddit might have been behind that one, too, in a weird kind of collusion, conspiracy kind of way. I don't know. Well, I, if I can I interject, my hands Rob, I mean, the, the thing that really caught my attention yesterday was when Chamath Palihapitiya came out and said he was buying an out-of-money call options on the, on the stock. I saw and that. Uh, he's a, a highly regarded, well-respected uh, individual investor, or not a professional investor, frankly. And I wasn't quite sure what to make, what to make of it. I, I don't know if maybe he's got a grudge against the guy who runs Melvin Capital or something. I, I have no idea, but that was really intriguing to me. And, and you want to talk about pouring fuel on a fire is that, you know, the, the Reddit crowd all of a sudden kind of had this this backing of a, of a highly respected professional investor kind of saying, hey, go for it, guys. Uh, and then, you know, you get 
someone like Elon Musk after hours, you know, tweeting what he tweeted. And, and then and that's just, you know, it's like it's like a you know a message from God, you know, uh, for a lot of these people. So um, it, it's just extraordinary. And, um, you know, it's 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 something that, uh, again, I think is not going to end well, but um, but it's just fascinating to watch. Just to give people perspective, your first line of page one today, which I love to read every single morning. Uh, shares of AMC Entertainment are up 277% in pre-market. And I'm like, this is going to be fun. Um, but your writing today was beautiful, just between me and you and the audience here. Microsoft had a blowout quarter. AMD did too. Starbucks topped estimated estimates, but disappointed. Boeing bombed with its quarterly results. 3M was upgraded. Very wonderful, nicely, well-written, good pacing. Good job going back to college. <laughs> um, I like the way you're able to put Wall Street information into a quick summation because I think it helps people. Um, so what, do you, what are you making of earnings season so far, if I can change the topic with two minutes left? Sure, sure. Well, thank you for that. And I mean, earnings season is, is going great. Uh, okay. in terms of uh, the reports relative to expectations. Now, we're still looking at earnings themselves being down on a year-over-year basis, but the market was well aware that that was likely to be the case. But you're getting such large beats that that, uh, that decline is really coming down. I mean, it was at double digits uh, at the end of uh, December, and now we're kind of in the low single-digit decline. So you can get a sense for how how great the uh, the beats are relative to expectations. Now, the reactions to the results have been lackluster, frankly, um, in most cases. We saw that with financials. We've seen that now with a you know stock like AMD, which had a great great quarter and had really good commentary. And I think it's just sort of a reflection of a market that does does acknowledge that it, it's gotten ahead of itself, or certainly realizes it's come a long way in a short amount of time. And a lot of good news was priced in and pulled forward already. And so kind of indicative of a market, I think, that knows and that it needs to rest here, if not actually enter uh, into a correction correction phase. So today is going to be the big one, the, the big three horsemen. Will they be horsemen of the apocalypse or will it be horsemen of giving mm-hmm. the market support? Tesla, Apple are following in the footsteps of Microsoft. It's a big earning week as well for Apple, Facebook, Tesla, or the big three tonight. Um, yep. Where do you think the market breaks? Do we break back to the stay-at-home tech stocks? Do we break towards the reopening, like the Visas and the MasterCards uh, transactions? Uh, if you were to guess, and I, I'm putting you on a stupid spot, but we're digesting right now, I think, is what I just got from you. Where, where do you think mm-hmm. the next market after the digestion goes? Well, I think you, I think you do go back to the pro-cyclical type trade. Um, you know, I, you've seen some of these mega caps perk up lately, just kind of in a little bit of a defensive move, I think, because they offer, they have such great liquidity and you know that they're likely going to post some really good results. Um, but, you know, if you kind of get just a general de-risking effort where a little bit of, you know, everything kind of retreats, uh, I think the market knows it needs to reset a bit, needs to rest uh, and then it will likely get back into motion favoring this pro-cyclical trade, which coincidentally is probably going to be supported today, I would think, by the commentary from Fed Chair Powell. Uh, he certainly isn't going to want to do anything to disrupt uh, something, uh, isn't going to want to disrupt his effort to improve the economy through monetary policy. And he might say a little something about the speculative action seen, being seen in the stock market, but I think in general his larger takeaway message is that 
he doesn't think that the market itself overall is highly priced, you know, relative to where interest rates are. Uh, and he's going to reiterate that message that the Fed's going to continue, uh, is not going to be raising interest rates anytime soon, is going to continue with his asset purchases. And it's reminders like that that will feed into this mentality to, to buy on uh, any near-term near weakness, I would think. Thank you so much. I have to cut you short because we've got about 30 seconds. I want to give you the proper plug. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Briefing.com is so much more than Patrick O'Hare, but I start my day with it. Sometimes throughout the day, I'll check on ticker symbols of companies that I want to follow or that might be story stocks the following day. It's a wonderful resource of market information on the U.S. as well as international markets. I honestly don't think I could live without it as an investor. Find it at briefing.com. Find Patrick O'Hare starting every day on the page one. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black. You're not. Last night was a biggie in the Bay Area of California. What do I mean by biggie? Not an earthquake, no. We had a nice size earthquake, was it seven to 10 days ago? 14 days ago, a couple weekends ago. It was down in the Santa Cruz Mountains, which is for outsiders, maybe an hour outside of San Francisco. Santa Cruz is home of a beach, home of vampires, home of... Well, you get the idea. Roughly 35 million American homes have some sort of risk, serious risk, high risk of natural disaster. Not like, uh, I'm trying to think of risky scenarios, like when you date a prostitute. No, 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 can't do that on radio. That's inappropriate. Like when you, um, I don't want to say go out in a rainstorm with lightning. No, no. High risk, like when you drink and drive. Difference between drinking and driving with nothing, drinking and driving with six, drinking and driving with 12, drinking and driving with 18. This is kind of like in that 10 to 12 area uh, as far as core studies go. Roughly 35 million homes or nearly one third of the nation's housing stock are at high risk. Not low risk, high risk of a natural disaster. And it got me thinking last night because the storm, the rain, rain, go away, was coming down hard. And I've got a roof. Rains and roofs don't go together. Rains and gutters don't go together. So I was like, uh oh, I've got trees next to me. I live kind of on a small hill near a creek. Hills and what rain, one inch of rain an hour don't go together. So I, I went to bed thinking, I might die tonight. <laughs> Not a good thought, right? But here are the seven biggest home disaster hazards earthquake, wildfire, inland floods. Severe convective storms. I don't know what convective is. I need to go back to high school. No, but I'm imagining thunder, lightning, wind, uh, lack of visibility on the highways. Maybe that's what a severe convective storm is. How about a winter storm? Hurricanes and tropical storm, coastal surge and winds. So those are the big ones that you're at risk at. And those are normal risks for us. The high risk hits a third of our homes. And I'm probably in that third that could be hit with a wildfire. I'm in California. It's dry. I could be hit with an earthquake at any moment. 
I could be hit with an inland flood. I live at the base of a mountain. I can be hit with storms. Not so much. California is pretty nice with storms. We don't get that East Coast lightning and thunder crazy. It's in. It's furious. And oh, it's calm. California's kind of got two seasons. It's got the wet season. It's got the dry season. It doesn't have winter or summer or fall or spring. And I know that's some dissecting hairs there, but I miss the East Coast in the four seasons versus the two seasons of the West Coast. Uh, winter storms, we got those up in the Sierras. If you turned on the news last night, three hours from the Bay Area, got over a foot of snow in one day. They're going to have five feet by Saturday. Many people, some people, not many, some people will die in car crashes. Some people will freeze to death. Some refrigerators will go bad. I <laughs> know you're saying, you're sad about refrigerators going bad? I am. But I don't have to worry about hurricanes, or do I? In the year 2001 or 2002, there was a hurricane, a tornado near San Francisco. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. And in Southern California, they get hit with hurricanes that kind of sweep through Mexico, uh, northern Mexico, Southern California. Not often. Usually it's coastal. Usually it's, it's small, but it happens. So why do I bring this up? Because one of the biggest investments I have is my home. And do I have flood insurance? Have I read my insurance contracts? Have you read your insurance contracts? The answer is probably not. Because we all know what they are. There are 47 pages that you have to scroll down quickly and hit the checkbox, yes, that you read it. Or you have to sit there and read 47 pages, which for most Americans would take about four evenings. So know what risks are and how comfortable you are. And if you do have a company like USAA or Geico, or if you have an insurance agent with Allstate, find out if you're in good hands and call them up and say, last night there was a lot of rain. I've heard media stories that Rain, if like wind blows my windows open, yeah, you'll cover my windows. But if a flood comes down the mountain, that's an act of God. In the 21st century, are we really quoting acts of God versus global warming? I get it. I'm not saying, I'm not going total negative audio. I'm just trying to go with a broad brush stroke of do you know your risk? You should. Um, here's an example of knowing your risk. When I first moved to California, Oakland is the sister city right across the bay from San Francisco. And then you get the redheaded cousin called San Jose, which is at the bottom of the bay, but we won't go there. Don't even get me started on Milopitas because I could go off on that. But Oakland, when I first moved to California, there was lovely homes up in the Oakland Hills. Some millionaires and billionaires live in the Oakland homes because uh, from the Oakland Hills, you can see San Francisco and the sun setting and the Golden Gate Bridge, which I like calling it the Golden Great Bridge. And then every other bridge is like, well, that's the Carquinez Suck Bridge. So I, I name my bridges the way I want to name them. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so when I first got to California, Oakland was burning, the hills in Oakland. And I was like, whoa. And I told my TV station, Cron, I'm like, if you give me ten, give me $100,000, I'll go buy 10 houses in California. And they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah, I can I'll go to the house that's on fire, and I'll knock on his neighbor's door and said, hey, it looks like your house may burn down. Can I buy it for $10,000? And they said, you'll get shot. I'm like, yes, I would. But what was interesting about that is how many homes burned down and how big of losses were. 
because people had insurance against fires. Sure. But they bought the house 30 years ago and the rebuilding cost had quadrupled on them and they weren't covered. Rebuilding cost is a risk. If you've had an insurance policy for five, 10, 15 years, have things gone up? Have it got more expensive to get a contractor out? Yes. You should know your risks because disasters happen and they happen all the time, surprisingly. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com.